Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, hope you're having a fantastic Friday. I like being back in the Friday driver's seat. Uh, getting out there right now, the weather in Texas is a balmy 72 degrees, but we got overcast skies, uh, kind of like the world. We got some overcast skies, but the weather's great. Uh, I think we're going to get a little rain this weekend, which we need because we're definitely dry. Um, I'm actually having to turn on the irrigation system a little early for that because, uh, it's all a tinderbox. Let's take care of some housekeeping real quick. You are listening to the Information Edge podcast. I'm your host, Darren Yancey. You can go to the site, informationedge.net or darrenyancey.com. By the way, they both take you to the same site. Uh, learn about everything that we've got in terms of sponsors, what's going on with topics, the government site. I got to tell you, the government site's a very, it's, it's, a, it's a resource for you on how to find out who you want to know who's on what committee, so you can start following them. Obviously, our topics and where I get a lot of our information from, uh, in, in addition to the newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. That started to take off dramatically this last quarter. Uh, I want to thank everybody that has signed up for that. You can follow me on Twitter at InfoEdge65. You can follow me on Gab and Getter at DGNC65. The, that, that one under Twitter got nuked uh, last fall for, I guess, some untimely comments. Um Interesting stuff going on today. We're going to focus a little bit on the state of Texas, but we've got a gentleman that not only can talk about Texas, but national and beyond uh, really kind of a constitutional scholar. Good friend of mine, Texas Senator Brian Birdwell. Brian, welcome to the show. Hoo-ah, Darren. Thank you for uh, for the invitation. I, I, I am honored you would call me a constitutional scholar. You know, I've, I've just read the document, but I don't know that scholars <laughs> <laughs> but I am honored. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I know if I ask you a question, you, you'll point to the, where the Constitution, where Joe Biden's breaking the law. Am I right there? I, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think uh, Article One, Section Eight, uh, Clause Ten is where we're. <laughs> 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 but uh, we, yeah, as it relates to the border, I'm sure that's uh, going to come up in our discussion. Uh, but yeah, uh, so uh, yeah. Well, before we get to national, let's let's focus on Texas for just a moment. Um, we had a couple of special sessions in the last legislative session and a lot of the grassroots conservatives in the Republican party and those that identify as conservative that simply vote Republican, um, didn't feel we did real well. I wanted to get your opinion on what you felt were the highlights of the last legislative session, uh, what you feel were some missed opportunities okay. and, overall grade how the last legislative session went well giving myself a grade is is difficult but let me tell you what where the successes were and where some disappointments were and and those normally occur because um in in with the senate has 31 senators the house has 150 members uh 150 representatives and what's achievable and it's not that there's factionalism, it's just what, what is something, what is the policy position that a majority of each body can agree upon? 
And then even within each body, when you go to conference committee, can you get a majority of the conference members to agree to the changes? And then when they go back to their respective bodies, will the bodies support those changes within the conference committee? So that is, I mean, that's the way the founders set it up. So it, it so it's, it, it's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's not as simple as simply saying, here's, here's my position and here's what I want. And that's what we always get. Um, I would tell you that the, um, what we did for election integrity and for permitless carry, some of the Second Amendment-related things that we did, um, and then some changes administratively that, we, that the, the last year's statewide freeze um, showed us some of the inadequacies of things that we had put in place as it related to our ERCOT uh, board of directors that manage our grid and our electric market in Texas, those things that were the things that I think were the most uh, dramatic successes. There were others. We, we banned CRT, the critical race theory. There were other elements, the heartbeat bill um, that talked about, you know, we protect the life of a child when the, the, the heartbeat is detected, ranging, depending upon the, the, the physical circumstances, ranging from six to 10 weeks. Um, so we protected life. So it, it, there's a lot of good that we did, and some of it took the, the recession and three specials. Others it didn't. But um, the, the disappointments probably relating to two things, something that I carried um, that I worked on uh, in great detail that got out of the Senate 30 to 1 but did not, uh, uh, did not get through the House uh, because the House and the Senate took two dramatically different approaches to executive branch um, uh, orders related to disasters and emergencies. Uh, I don't want to be so granular that I, I confuse the audience, but one of the, the things, you know, Brian, you've got we, we have, broadcast we, here. So go ahead. We got, we got a smart audience. Be granular. Oh, okay. Okay. I just, I mean, I know they're smart. I just, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get so granular that I'm boring people, but nah, you're not, you know, if, I, if you start boring, anyway, you'll hear me snoring. Don't worry about it. Okay, I'll cover that. Okay. But, um, so the, uh, uh, one of the things that, uh, that we dealt with, with executive and, and orders is that because Texas is a part-time legislative body, we meet in the odd year from January through May. And so otherwise, when we're not in the regular session, the governor determines whether or not we come into session or not. Article 3, Section 41 of the state constitution says that only the governor may call a special. And in that call, the legislature may only address what the governor puts on the call. Back in, in the 1970s, in, in the the, the depth of the Cold War as we were dealing with the, the end of Vietnam and, and you know, the, the nuclear arms race, there were things put in statute that were recommended across all the different state legislatures as related to emergency and disaster powers. And those were primarily designed and written for states that have full-time legislatures. Texas adopted them as recommended by ALEC and, and, uh, and NCSL, which are two state legislative interest groups that, that uh, spread the news around different state legislatures for how the states are addressing state issues. 
but it doesn't really work for the, the part-time legislature because what functionally happens is is that you give the governor a disaster, and primarily for Texas, that hurricanes, tornadoes, acts of God on the disaster side, and on emergencies, that's usually something related to um, conduct related to citizens, riots, insurrection, th- that type of thing. And those powers that we gave the governor back in the 70s, when the pandemic arrives, it's another year before we're even in session. Right. First, I don't want this discussion to be viewed as an extreme critique of Governor Abbott, because, look, he's the only guy talking to the National Command Authority as to whether or not COVID is a biological agent and what we didn't know early on. That now in looking at hindsight, did we need to do some things? Probably not. But I can't sit here and tell you, Darren, I would have done a better job than Governor Abbott. This was very difficult to do with such a large state, large population centers, and then very rural areas, very large rural areas of the, of the state. Um, so this, so it's, I'm trying to, in, in explaining this, I'm trying to explain the legislative aspects of what the law currently says. This is not a critique of personalities because you right. legislate to structure, not to personality. And so there are elements of the law that, like for an emergency, if there's a riot over in Orange County in the southeast corner of the state, the way the legislation, current, way the law currently reads is if the governor declares that, uh, that emergency because the county judge says, hey, I need, you know, I need you to declare you know, an emergency, send in the guards, you know, Texas Rangers, whatever it may be. The governor can make that declaration, and then there's additional powers it gives him to close down alcoholic beverage establishments because, you know, Molotov cocktails and, and, you know, alcohol is usually an inflamant to a problem, not a, not a calming influence, and other things related to that. But the problem is, is that the law does not limit the governor's scope of those orders. So you could have a riot in Orange County, and the governor has the statutory authority to shut down alcohol sales up in Dalhart 900 miles away. And so if you put those types of powers into the wrong hands, then you could end up with a governor that, because the legislature is not physically in session, has no ability to check a governor, a future governor, if they're making bad decisions or if they're encroaching on the citizens. Because remember what Madison said, I think it was Federalist 48, it says that the legislative branch must necessarily predominate. Our problem in Texas is that in a two-year biennium, whether it's the budget biennium or the legislative biennium starting in January of the odd year and going to the next January of the odd year. In that 24 months, the executive branch and the judicial branch are at work all 24 months of that two years with their constituted authorities. The state legislature, the the dominant branch of government, is only at work, even though it's a five-month session, the first two months – or what's called the preclusion months, where we can't do anything unless the governor gives us an emergency declaration, or we have four-fifths of the body decide to take something up. That's a very high threshold. Right. So the, the legislative branch is only constituted with its full constitutional authorities three months out of every 24. So even though in state law, in the emergency and disaster chapters, chapter 418 and 432, 
and it says the legislature may end, may declare the disaster or the emergency over at any time. The problem is, is if we're not called into session by the governor, we don't have the ability to do that without being brought in by him as it relates to Article 3, Section 41. So there were some unrealistic expectations or the inability to forecast various challenges that may come. I mean, the last pandemic was the Spanish flu a century ago. Um, I mean, we've had other pandemics, you know, that, but not nearly as right. as not wide like and as scope. But you get the – we don't want a full-time legislature in Texas. But the legislature has to have some ability to execute the duties that only it can without being at the discretion of the governor. So this is something that didn't, yeah, you, I know you worked on it, but this one didn't happen this session. Are you going to bring it up in the next session again? Oh, absolutely. I I put that in my newsletter when, when it failed, Um, you know, we just couldn't come to an agreement in the, with the house. And again, I'm not picking on the house, but they, they're, I looked at it um, more holistically because when I'd made changes in, in statute, it was a constitutional amendment. The changes I made, were not based upon the type of the emergency or the disaster. It was on the scope and size. Mm-hmm. So that if the governor made a, a, a disaster declaration that had either, uh, it may have only been a few counties, but if it's half the population of the state or more, or if it's two-fifths of the counties, regardless of the population of those counties, or if it's, and it's an, a, 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 another criteria I had was, if two-thirds of the counties in four of the emergency management districts, those are generally the hospital districts that would relate to a pandemic. If the governor put those counties in a disaster or emergency declaration, then he's got 30 days and that constitutional amendment would require him to call the legislature in to get the legislature's concurrence, non-concurrence or caveats to, yes, we'll give you another 30 days, but you have to do it this way. Right. And that gives – because what I heard most from uh, – in the early days of the pandemic back in you know February, March, April of 2020, and while I think the governor was, was – Governor Abbott was trying to do his absolute best with the data that he had and what he was getting from, from Washington. Remember, we've got to evaluate what happened with the information we had at the time, not the information we have today, and evaluate right. how we did – you know, two years ago, that's an unfair assessment of Governor Abbott because um, you make decisions at the moment you got to make them. Right. Um, but what I heard from people more than anything was that that because the legislature is the best branch of government to check a, a governor, or the governor would have been in a better political position, I think, had he brought us in. Right. And then got our concurrence that then the legislature can have hearings, get the latest science. It's not just the governor's advisors, but the legislature legislature gets to bring in folks and then say, hey, you know, we'll let you do this for 45 more days. We'll let you do it for 30. We'll do this. But, you know, you can't do it this way. And those things that I heard from people say, I wish my legislator could do something about it besides simply writing a letter or making a post on Facebook. But as long as only the governor can call a special, it's in his ballpark. Right. And, and that's uh, what I heard from most people. And so we look, if, if you get a future governor 
that is is hostile to our Second Amendment rights when the next mass shooting occurs, and because we live in a fallen, sinful world, Darren, you know this, well, it'll happen. Sure. And just like after the end of the 19th session, you had the El Paso and the Midland, El Paso Walmart and the Midland shooting out there, and you could have a governor suspend all of our, our laws related to Second Amendment liberties at the state level, and the legislature can't do anything about it if it happens in the, the June right after the session's over with, we can't do anything about it for 19 months. Yeah, I think that would be disastrous on any governor's part to try that, but it's a, it's a good example. Let's pivot back to ERCOT for a second. Yes, um, yeah, sure. I guess here's the first question, and, and this goes to you've been here long enough to see a lot of this. Are we going to stop shutting down our coal fire plants? I mean, we've taken a tremendous amount of power off the grid just in Texas. Forget the rest of the nation, just in Texas in the last 10 years. Are we going to stop that trend? I'm not saying we can't continue to expand renewable energy, but are we going to stop that trend now based upon what happened last year, based upon what we saw this winter, and based upon global events right now? Yeah. My, my hope is yes, but unfortunately, it's a shared responsibility. Most of the, the what makes coal prohibitive to either continue after its life cycle of the plant is over with or to build a new one is federal, not state inhib in, uh, inhibition or state uh, preclusions. Um, one of the things that I have is, and in fact, I, I just today we turned in, because I chair natural resources and economic development, I just right. turned in the what I recommended to the governor, lieutenant governor, for interim study charges. Look, we just went through, uh, I guess it was a month or so ago, we had that hard freeze for a couple of days. Right. I was worried about the grid. And it wasn't as statewide, and it wasn't as long, and you right. can tell some hardening has occurred. That's right. not really the problem because your question gets to the problem. The problem is with the number of people moving to Texas, every house, every developer that builds a, an HEB, a Kroger, a new car dealership, whatever it is, is plugging into that grid. Yep. And so the buffer of power we have between, you know, hey, we've got all this extra power that we can turn it on if we need it in a bad weather event. We're getting very close, in my view, to what your question alleviates to, uh, alludes to, is that even without a weather event, the growth in the state of Texas is going to start to cause us to have, you know, when it's 110 in July, yep, yep. And everybody's got their air conditioning on 24-7, we're going to yep. start having rolling brownouts, because, you know, and is that going to happen this year? No, but the problem is we haven't built a gas-fired plant. We have not added, in, in 12 years, we have not added yeah. any new thermal, meaning gas, nuclear, or coal, right. to right. the state's grid. It's all been wind and solar, and not, not simply because the state just wants a lot of wind and solar. The real problem with wind and solar is not that they can't be contributors in some way. It's that the federal tax credits for it, Darren, make it so uh, inexpensive to build. So if, if I build a gas-fired plant with a 40-year lifespan, I'm going to pay the mortgage on that for at least 15 years. Yeah. So the, the, the plant's not paid off in its construction for 15 of that 40 years. And that's in a, in a good scenario. And it depends on the you know what the market price over that 15 years is of what profit. Look, you've been in the financial world longer than I yep. have, so you yep. understand that. 
But in the because of the federal tax credits for wind and solar, the cost to pay their mortgage off is two to three years. It's a much shorter period where now the life cycle of that wind and solar, because of the federal tax credits, makes it much easier to build and get a return on your construction cost investment much quicker than the wind than the than, the, than coal, gas, or nuclear. And in fact, of all of our uh, systems in last year's um, uh, freeze, um, only nuclear, the, the nuclear plant here in, uh, in Somerville County in Glenrose at Comanche Peak was the only power system that was uh, un, uh, uninhibited in any way, shape, or form. The nuclear plant down on, in Brazoria County on the Gulf Coast did have to shut down one of its two reactors because Nobody expects it to be below freezing for five days in a row on the Gulf Coast. No. And so they had some freezing freezing problems of the water feeding that reactor, so they had to shut it down. So that did impact the city of Houston. But nuclear was the steady Freddy that had the least amount of impact. Same with coal. Um, but there's just not enough of it. Uh, well, but I mean, I, I understand well, the payback yeah, from an investment standpoint. I, I get that. The problem is from a reliability standpoint, it's night and day. I mean, you got to have wind oh, for absolutely. wind and you got to have sun for sun. That's just, it is what it is. That's not a knock on right. renewables. It's right. not a knock on technology. It is, it is the substance of what they are. Or if I'm feeding that right. furnace, or if I've got that fissionable material going on, that's 24 seven, it's uninterrupted. It keeps going. Yep. And, and here's the other thing, the, the, the new problem, my concern with nuclear, I don't have a problem with expanding it. If we can start talking thorium, but the uranium, we we're not a leading, a leading producer of, of uranium. Russia is, uh, they produce yeah. 20% yeah. Of, of our uranium. So, you know, if we're going to go nuclear, we want to talk thorium and the industry is on top of each other. You know, we got all the coal. I mean, it's just right now I, I hear all this, right. The, the beast that is Vladimir Putin was built by environmental regulatory issues on both the state yep. and the federal level that, that built right. that, that monster was built and yep. we got to get away from it. And we do because you, what you're, what you're describing is wind and solar can be contributors, but they cannot be the anchor of our, our energy needs. Um, mm -hmm. Not at all. I mean, you're seeing that. I mean, with what's happening in Ukraine, I didn't mean to go down that swerve into that, but that's okay. President Trump was right. You he know, was. the the European countries that have allowed Russia to be the primary provider of their energy needs under the, the auspices of, of concern for being green has put them in a leverageable position by Russia. And that they've been doing that for far longer, you know, than before even President Trump came to office and said, "What, you know, what are you doing?" Um, so we've got to have, and that's part of the reason for for what I've asked the Lieutenant Governor for is, okay, the hardening has occurred. There may be some more hardening needed, but the real the real thing is, I need abundance, and right now I don't have abundance. Right. And the marketplace won't let me build. The marketplace doesn't let me build too much abundance because if I build, if, if we did something, you know, no industry is going to go out there and build a bunch of plants that aren't going to be on making a 
uh, producing a product that makes a profit, they don't want to build stuff that's going to be sitting idle for 11 months out of 12 months out of a year. Correct. But we Correct. need some buffer, and we got to get that built. And and that there's there is entanglement may not be the right word, but right now because of the the current administration and its environmental view, um, we are intertwined at with with federal regulatory agencies as to what we can and can't do, and. We've got to change that that mindset um, very quickly um, because we don't want another winter or or brutal summer. Um, and right now we don't with the current current administration, uh, the options don't look good for us. So we learned a hard lesson last year with the uh, with the, the statewide freeze, uh, both on on hardening and capacity. Uh, and now we're in an administration that's only exasperating that that hard lesson, and so I, you're exactly right, Darren. I mean, I, I you're not getting an argument from me. I'm just trying to tell you the way the battlefield looks right now. We're well, I think to what, fight on what the battlefield the way we want it to be. Yeah. You know. Well, you know. I, here's the problem that I don't that, and I have you know a lot of people, and I don't, I don't want to get into who's right and who's wrong in in, in Russia, Ukraine, because there's two sides. The Ukraines did things. The Russians have done things. And frankly, our, our U.S. administration has done some things. But in the aftermath of what, when this settles, and it's going to settle pretty quick because we've built, we built a beast over in Russia that is the world's gas stop. And, and there's ways to go through. But I, I talk with people in the oil and gas industry, and right now they're like, okay, I, I know it's high. The problem is I got labor problems because since COVID, nobody wants to work. So they're having problems getting labor. Yeah. A lot of the equipment that's already out there is already used. And then they got to invest in equipment and they don't trust this administration. Even if he comes back out and says, okay, no. I'm going to open up all the lease. We're going to fix the Keystone XL, which should have never been shut down. He's never. not trusted. Yeah. He's not trusted right now. No. And, and so no. that gets no. us into, you know, okay, we're going into 2022. And I mean, if you read the tea leaves, it could be, uh, barring some type of, uh, you know, snafu, uh, a good year for the Republicans. What do you, what do you like? What, what do you like of what you're seeing in, in primary challenges, both statewide and perhaps even nationally that you think can, can help out our state and our country? Do you know what I, what I really, what I really think is most inspiring is what we're seeing at the local level school boards. I mean, Glenn Youngkin's win is not a local race, it's a statewide race. But when you've got a federal government that, and right now there's very clear evidence that the letter that the attorney general put out and the FBI said, we're gonna treat parents that complain at their school boards as, as you know, terrorists or near terrorists. When you start jacking with people's kids and ultimately we've got school boards that don't realize you work for the voters, the voters don't work for you. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of that veg head going on. <laughs> yeah. And so I think what we're seeing is an awakening of people to, you know, who the boss is, as opposed to, you know, we're not, it's the consent of the governed, you know, mm -hmm. not the, not the consent of the governing. And so in that sense, what we're seeing at the local level for, school board races, for city races, and as you get into the partisan races here in Texas, for those that, that don't know, our, you know, our, our school boards and 
city elections are not partisan. They're not partisanly decided. There's not a Republican and Democrat challenger, you know, primaries. But when you get into county offices, you know, constables, JPs, county judge, all those are. But so what we're seeing locally is a lot more people being engaged. What we're seeing from a national perspective in South Texas right now is you're seeing a major shift of people I, that I think South Texas is going to turn red. I think it's going to turn red. You tell I, me if, if I'm wrong. I, I, it is clearly becoming redder. Will yeah. the counties be majority in, in the sense of they are solidly red because of the, the bulk of the people in the county offices and then the, the state and federal offices? Uh, I think that's coming. I don't know if it'll happen this go round when you look at some of the primary um, the primary data I've seen, I, I, you know, consultants all study that stuff in, in brutal depth, but you're seeing 20 point swings mm -hmm. in Hispanic population where now instead of a 90 to 10 split Democrat to Republican, you're seeing 70 to 30 split. And that 20% means that statewide elections and maybe even congressional rec elections are 60, 40, 65, 35 in the Republican advantage. Yeah. Um, That's I mean, huge. Just, just, That's I mean, huge. Yeah, it's huge. So, and the thing is, is that if, if, the, if Republicans do take control of the House and the Senate or, or just the House, there's still a ton of authority that the president has that to some degree we can prevent bad things that have to be done legislatively. Can't necessarily prevent the bad things that he can do by executive order. I mean, I just just two days ago, uh, I learned from uh, Director McCraw, our, our DPS director, that the, the president has, has put out an executive order that on April 1st, they're going to suspend the enforcement of, of Section 42. Um, so anybody that comes across the border that has a criminal record is immediately deported. He's vacating that. And, and I'm sorry, I mean, if it, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that to me, that's a crime. That's a crime under the Constitution. It is. I mean, it, it's 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 the failure to faithfully execute the laws in Article Two of the Constitution. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And, and if so we, I mean, in my opinion, so, if we had a Congress that was over, doing their oversight, I think he would have already been impeached and potentially removed. Potentially, I mean, I think um, I, I, impeachment is a valid. Um, a valid tool, uh, and it's the tool of supremacy. The problem is it's particularly with what happened to Trump for the, for the last two, you know, his two impeachments in office, impeachment has been turned into a, a political tool rather than a, uh, a, a tool of discretion. And, and, and it I should be a tool of discretion. Of it? Absolutely. But Absolutely. if you look but at everything that, that Joe Biden has done <laughs> since he's been in office, there's multiple violations of the Constitution and his constitutional duties that you can go right to the article, right to the section. And if, if it was one, you could go, OK, but there's multiple cases. And I, and I got to look at right now. OK, let's look at Ukraine. We know we have problems on our border. We should have our troops on our border or something more beefy down there to, to help stop that. Ukraine is not a NATO country. Uh, the UN hasn't said go in. And if the UN does, it needs to be UN troops. Why are we moving troops in and around Ukraine? Yeah. 
Brian? Why are we doing that? Well, let me let me. This may take some time, but I want to. You got let the me, floor. Let me give you some backstory. Let me give you some backstory you you may not have from back in the early two thousands, but because it. I'm torn here on on the Ukraine issue. One, certainly, I don't like it. I, you know, I don't like the fact that the Russians have, have gone into Ukraine, and we're seeing what we're seeing. Look, as a guy that's been in two wars, you know, a career military guy, you know, I understand. You know, it's what I was trained to do. Um, there is there is concern that you know after Ukraine, particularly after Crimea in fourteen, Georgia back in 07, um right. And now Ukraine, uh, you know, is there grander illusions and uh, future courses of action, particularly in the Baltic states, which are now part of, of NATO, uh, or other former Eastern Bloc nations, Poland, Hungary, Romania, that are in NATO now. Um, so there's, there's that reason that, that you're seeing troop movements to just cause a, 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 an enemy and in this particular case, Russian expansionism to you better rethink this. Um, on the backstory is, look, do, do I want to be in Ukraine? No. Do I want American blood paying for that? No. Do I want a no-fly zone that American pilots, you know, because once an American pilot shoots down a Russian pilot, you know, I mean. It's it's ugly. What does that, I mean, you're looking at it at, at a World War One flaming of the continent again kind of thing in, in my view what the reason i'm torn on it isn't just those reasons but in 2003 when the united states you know president bush made the decision that because of looking at the the events of september 11th and the dangers of terrorism and what saddam had and had it used on his own people it used on the iranians his aggression um, look, satellites take fabulous pictures of truck convoys leaving Iraq going to Syria, but they don't tell you what's in the trucks. Okay. Right. So the media narrative that there were no weapons of mass destruction, we did find small elements. We did find sarin gas. We did find some things. And look, just a year later, when Libya gave up its nuclear weapons program, our, our our intelligence agencies said, you know, they weren't nearly as far along as, as they were when they gave it up. So just because the intelligence community tells you something that you want to hear or what you don't want to hear, make it don't make it true. It's right. always a best estimate of, of what. So I'm not here to go down that the argument of why we should look. I agreed with the president, President Bush in 2003. This is the right answer. And look, I'll tell you that if you go to. Uh, um, uh, Prager U, you'll see some videos about how we think we lost that war in 2011 when we pulled out. I mean, all the hard-fought gains. Don't want to go over it all again, but right. in 2003, when President Bush was saying the coalition's going in, and the news media was saying we're going it alone, and then President Bush at that State of the Union listed all the countries. One of the countries that went to Afghanistan or to, to Iraq with us was Ukraine. Ukraine lost 18 soldiers uh, when they had an entire brigade, I believe it was, in Iraq. The Poles actually had an entire division, and the deputy commander of the Iraqi forces, the Iraqi coalition, was a Polish three-star for the first year of the operations there. 
What I'm trying to tell you, Darren, is that all those Eastern Bloc European nations that used to be in the Warsaw Pact underneath Soviet domination right. in 2003, 2004, wanted to demonstrate their value at the time, the current members of NATO, that you ought to bring us into NATO because we can play a role. That's exactly what the Poles, the Lithuanians, the Estonians, the Latvians, the Hungarians, the Romanians, and while Ukraine was not in in uh, uh, NATO, um, they wanted to demonstrate their, their viability. And look, they weren't just trying to demonstrate, hey, you know, be be aware of what we can bring to the to the table if we're NATO members. They're also looking at that Russian bear on their eastern border, and they still remember what it was like 50 years ago before the wall came down, or 40 years ago now before the wall came down, and what communist domination looked like. And they also wanted to say, United States, we came to your aid when you needed us. Remember this when we need you. And that's why I'm torn, Darren. I don't want to be there. Yeah. I don't want American blood spilling in Ukraine. But I also know that when during the Clinton administration in 93 or 4, when we signed that letter that said, you give up your nuclear weapons, we guarantee your sovereignty. Because the purpose of that wasn't simply to give up nuclear weapons. The purpose was the Ukrainians could have sold those things on the, on the, on the black market to, to an Iran or some other terror actor and for a lot of money. And we wanted the in fact when the Soviet Union dissolved, the new, most of the uh, it was United States and, and Russia were the number one and number two nuclear weapon possessors. Number three was Ukraine, and that's mm-hmm. why we wanted them to, to give them up. So in, whether it was going into Iraq with us or the the agreement back in '93, I and exactly to your point about nobody trusts anybody anymore, the, this administration. I want the word of the United States to mean something, because when we've got friends in the foxhole with us and, and they lose – look, 18 casualties in, for the Ukrainian forces is not 4,000-something. Right. But those folks, that country, made that decision, and along with other countries. Yeah. When you tell your enemies you won't fight, you've told your friends you won't fight, and when you tell your friends you won't fight, you don't have too many friends left later on. Here's my concern. That's why I'm torn with this, and that's and yeah. that's why I'm so. I mean, I, I that's why I'm torn with it. It's well, here's there. here's here's my concern. I think Vladimir Putin had us at checkmate before he stepped across to do his security, which there's some justification for that. He got fired on. What he's done since then is not justified. I don't support it, but I have to look at. He's doing it because number one, he 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 feels, and most opinions agree that. Our president, occupant of 1600, is weak all the way across. The other problem we've got, because we built this monster, we don't have the fuel to do a conventional war. We just flat don't have it because of what's been happening in terms of shutting down the leases, shutting down the pipelines. Every barrel that's coming out of the U.S. right now is already accounted for. Uh, there is no, there is no more. And then the other issue is even if we have wave a magic miracle wand and get more, we don't currently, currently have the refining capacity. It's all been shoved off again. We help build this beast. And my concern is when you've given this guy so many chips 
even under the circumstances that you're talking about, we could walk into our own slaughter simply because we don't have the necessary tools to do the, the to do the mission. That's that's my concern, my personal concern. And when when this guy is gone madman enough to threaten nukes, which we know he's got subs in, in Venezuela, uh, they're talking about bomber wings down in Cuba, which how in the world did we get bomber wings in Cuba? Um, yeah. You know, my, my concern is he, he feels that, that Biden's going to blink. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, what is it Ronald Reagan said, you know, in all the world wars and, and the wars that I've seen in my lifetime, none of them ever occurred because we were too strong. Right. And so weaknesses and look. The, there are there are fractures in the in the NATO alliance. It isn't just it's, that's my assessment. Not not. I agree else. with that assessment. I agree with that. When, particularly when you look at Turkey, yep. that particularly under Erdogan's um, Turkey's a NATO ally. And just last week, Turkey cut off the Russian Navy from sending any more vessels into the Black Sea through the uh, the Dardanelles. I think it's the Dardanelles Strait or um, where Gallipoli, you know, World War One. Um, but you, to get, you got to get through the Mediterranean, through that channel that Turkey owns, um, and to get into the Black Sea. If Russia moves against Turkey, you know it activates Article Five, yep. um, and that's ugly. I mean, it's all ugly. The other thing I would, I would look. I'm, a, I was a conventional guy. I was never a special forces. I, you know, I was just a conventional soldier. Um. When when you've got parity or the threat of parity nuclear nuclearly, you know the real deterrent below nuclear is conventional. Here's something else you need to know, Darren, that and your listeners need to know. Right now, of all the NATO countries, other than the, the NATO countries in Europe, of all the NATO countries in Europe, which one has the most number of active duty? Soldier, oh, soldiers on active duty in divisional combat formations? The answer is Poland. Not only are we leveraged from an energy perspective, primarily, as you have said, but we're also leveraged because Russia's still got a very potent conventional force. Now, yes, it's, getting, it's getting taken some serious beatings right now with some of the weapons that, that we gave uh, in the Trump administration that we gave to the Ukrainians. But you you have to have not just a nuclear deterrent, but you've got to have a conventional deterrent. Because after the wall came down, you know, peace dividend, everybody gets to go home. The Russians went home. Yeah, they did. But they're still sitting on the eastern, you know, they're in, sitting in Belarus. They're sitting east of Poland. They're sitting just east of Latvia and Estonia and Lithuania. I mean, they're, they're sitting east of Finland. They're there. We came home. And so... Do I want to go back to the, you know, before the Berlin Wall came down and we've got an entire theater army um, with two corps and each corps having two divisions in it? No, I don't want to do that. But our NATO and our European friends are learning some really hard lessons right now. Yes, they are. Because I heard I, we've, we've and, got intelligence that Germany does not want to go. They basically want to make peace with the Russians. And they're not they're not willing to do their part in NATO. Yeah, I mean that that would not surprise me. That that would not surprise me at all. And that's exactly why the Poles were with us in Iraq and the yeah. Germans weren't. 
the Germans were with us. I mean, I, I, uh, I like, I love listening to peak headset. He's a retired major on Fox. He said something a couple of weeks ago that, that I had not heard before, but, um, in, in Afghanistan, it, it, your patch said ISAF that stood for international security and assistance forces. And the joke among American soldiers was, is that for the non-American soldiers, and I would also include the Brits and the Canadians in that, because uh, the Brits took, you know, uh, casualties well above 100 in the in Afghanistan. The, the Canadians uh, near 100, I think, or just slightly over 100. And again, I'm not trying to measure dedication solely by, by casualties. I don't want that to come across inappropriate or untoward in some way. But other than those two other NATO nations, Great Britain and Canada, the going joke among Americans was ISAF, stand, ISAF stood for I saw Americans fighting because <laughs> many of the restrictions that – yeah. I mean, and so I'm yeah. sitting there just, you know, I'm laughing, but it's but it's sad. I mean, like Russia yeah. used to say, you know, anything to be funny has to have a grain of truth because right. many of the rules of engagement, uh, restrictions that each nation of NATO put on – yeah, they checked the block. Yeah, we went to Article 5. But how rigorous did they really do it? Right. And right now, they want the United States to very rigorously live up to Article 5. When I don't think our NATO allies lived up to Article 5 with the rigor they expect of us that we wanted of them in Afghanistan. Absolutely. I, I would agree with that 100%. That's I my mean, opinion. I mean, I can't, you know. I think, I think the but, facts support your opinion. I don't, I think we... <laughs> unilaterally supported NATO for at least the last, well, since Reagan's left. Um, and yeah. it, it, you know, here's the thing. They either have to pay and defend or stuff's going to be shaken up. I mean, right now, this issue with um, the problem with, with Russia, with their supplies and this move to sanction and remove their swift capabilities is we're, yeah. we're actually putting the United States dollar in dire straits. Number one, you I'm not, everybody says, well, we don't need to be buying from Russia. We don't, okay, that's fine. If you get everything today and you work on refining capacity, you got 24 to 36 months minimum to get where you're, you could actually yeah. make a difference and, and go through. Let's say that's the best case. Yeah. They control the fuel. Yeah. If they take away Swift, he's already said he'll go on the gold standard. You know what that does to the U.S. dollar? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, annihil it annihilates it. It, it, and it probably, I don't know as much about currency as you do and currency manipulation because it's mostly a, it, it's a federal question. So I don't know as much about that as you, but I would, I would tell you that the biggest dangerous act that could occur isn't simply going to the gold standard is if the, if the American dollar no longer becomes the international reserve currency, exactly our debt, our debt, I mean, if China becomes the currency that, that the world markets are, are measured in and not the dollar, we have a problem. Our ability to deficit spend, which I don't want to deficit spend, but that $30 trillion we just crossed, what, last month yep. in national debt, let alone future obligations, that's going to make the Great Depression look like a, you know. It, it would be bad. It would be, and, and so at some point, we got to find an off ramp <laughs> on this. And my concern is, I mean, I, let's, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to conspiracy theory for a second. Uh, I think a lot of people okay. feel that, that you, Ukraine has been uh, Joe's piggy bank for a while and some other people's piggy bank, whether it is or isn't Joe's been hostile towards uh, Russia and him and Putin don't like each other. And Putin has zero respect for him. 
And I, I don't see where we're in any position short of pushing a nuclear button and hoping that ours get there before he can launch. I don't see any any victory on any front right now with the current chess match that's going on. I just don't see it. Tell um, me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I, no, I, I, I look, the, the problem with fighting the current war is everybody wants to use the previous wars as the best example of how to do it. And that's not always the case. I mean, the principles of war, there are nine principles of war, and they stay the same. But the accoutrements or the, the, the methodologies of war are very different uh, every time you, you know. And look, war has its place. It's not a pleasant experience. It's not a pleasant option to take. And you want to, you know, go into it, you know, with great reserve and as a last option. I think the best that we can look for here is the European nations figure it out and start towing not just the minimum that they have to do, but but being better prepared for this. And if, if the Germany, which which seems to be the, the most leveraging country within NATO that, that gets to, t I mean, they're the ones that were saying whether or not people could ship arms to Ukraine. I mean, it was like, Correct. if we wanted to help Ukraine, we have to go check with, you know, get permission from Germany. What? That's right. But That's I mean, right. I, don't, I don't understand those, you know, the European Union stuff. I mean, I, I don't want to, but I think the best that we can hope for is for Ukraine to make the price, whether it's in guerrilla warfare or what's called asymmetric tactics, make the price of Russia's expansionism so bloody that it creates another Afghanistan in Ukraine that eventually the Russians get out of 10 years later. And then at what, what condition will you, whether it's 10, 5, 2 years, you know, or do the Russian people, if enough of their Russian soldiers come on, because look, in, in representative republics, the president goes to Congress and asks for a, a declaration of war or a, a resolution, exactly. whatever the, the, I don't want to say substitute, but has to get the legislative consent to, to conduct action. Um, that means the president may lead us to war, but it's the American people that make the decision to concur with the decision and go into it. Correct. Whereas in Russia, it's it's pretty much the executive on his own accord has decided so. The Russian people, the protesters saying they didn't like this idea because, generally speaking, the Ukrainians were were their uh, were their Slavic brothers, just like in the. In they're, the they're, they're 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 cousins and they're cousins. They're yeah. all cousins. It's that's yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's and that's so, that's a regional thing. Yeah. And so I think the, that's probably the best hope. Is that enough? Kind of like when we put weapons into the Mujahideen um, stingers and other things for them to make the the Soviets experience pretty ugly in the Afghanistan invasion of '79 and '80. They eventually left. I think it was in '88 or '89. Yeah. Um, and re repeat that, knowing that you know while history repeats itself, the tactics of how to get there may not necessarily be the exact tactics here. Um, yeah, I don't. But I don't I'll know that we this, can use. I'm in, I'm in, <laughs> I think. I think ahead. Afghanistan, with the way it ended, we probably. <laughs> I don't know if we want to step on no, that landmine. Right. You're, you know. Well, uh, I mean, look. The, look. The, the 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 point about Afghanistan is is. I mean, I'm impressed with Zelensky. To be to be brutally honest with you, I, I'm. You know, I mean. Uh, people were offering him rides to you know vacate the countries. So I don't need rides. I need ammunition. You know, and and so. 
you know, I think the guy's a stand-up guy. It ain't talking about being a stand-up comic. But on the on the Afghanistan question, it's really, you know, in that last 18 months of President Trump's administration, there were no hostile acts against Americans. Right. In fact, I remember he had dropped right. – um, our theater commander had dropped a, one of those mother of all bombs, um, killing a lot of those guys, the, the Taliban and, and affiliated folks. And we were going to leave with dignity because, look, it, it was time. I mean, I don't think President Trump was wrong in, in wanting to negotiate with the Taliban when he did, uh, what, two and a half, uh, two and a half years ago to begin that process of. of He's our, the only president we didn't have any wars under. You know, and I, well, I wish he was at war, it, he was the caretaker. He didn't start one, but he was the caretaker right. of what was going on in Afghanistan. And it was just, you know, the American will wasn't wasn't there to keep staying. And and rightfully so. At some point, you know, the training wheels have to come off of the of the uh, of the the folks that we have helped try to, you know, govern. They weren't going to be a, a representative republic with their own Jefferson and. Washington right. and, and George Mason and all those guys that, you know, that signed the Declaration of Independence and, and 39 that signed the Constitution. But um, but the uh, it was time to come home. And look, I, I've, I've told people this. I said, look, being respected is always my first choice. But a close second, if I can't be respected, is to be feared. Yeah. And neither one of those are just Putin have for us right now. No, neither one. I, and I, I, I think a lot of people, I think we're all sympathetic to the Ukraines. I do not think this nation is ready to, uh, go into Ukraine with boots on the ground. That's just my opinion, but I think, as, no, and, you and, know. And, and I don't want to do that. I, I don't yeah. want to do that. Um, look, our own borders, a, a bigger problem right now. I mean, I, I guess it is going to some, yeah. I mean, we've got over a hundred nations represented in who we're capturing. I mean, I just saw a report um, a few days ago that the UN says now that there have been there are over a million refugees from Ukraine in neighboring countries, Moldova, most of them are in Poland, but Moldova, uh, and then the country that, uh, I think it's Romania, that there's just a smidgen of, I haven't looked at the map, but, but that million in a, in a week, what, 10 days of, of war. I mean, that's tragic. We've had 2 million uh -huh. in a year come across. Uh -huh. Texas border, let alone what's come across New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Yeah, I mean, and, and this, that's that's you know, the thing that really it, tortures yeah. us. Yeah, and we saw it, you know, a few a couple of months ago that you know flights are landing in Westchester County, New York, and and other places of, you know, I mean, to get back to the, the president violating the law, th this is not incompetence that we're seeing from this administration. No. There, this is malicious malfeasance. And that's why I hope if we if we do get a a change in hands of Congress, you know, I give him a warning if he doesn't uh, bring out the articles yeah. and get his attention. Yeah, you know. Well, I, and I think that has we, to be part of campaign. I think that we have to ask these guys if they're willing to do this during the campaign. Because if not, we don't need to be sending Marvin and Mindy Milk Toast uh, to the U.S. Congress right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, well, I tell you what, Brian. Like, I mean, I, I listen. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's your, well, we're out of, we're out of time. We're out of time. <laughs> we ran wow, out of time. That was a fast hour. And I, and we didn't take any breaks because <laughs> I knew we couldn't take them. I know. And, uh, well, that's right. That's, Hey, that's why I wanted to have you on. Cause you're a great resource for this stuff. Um, by the way, I don't like the fact that you're not my Senator anymore, but that's a separate discussion for another day. 
Yeah, I know. I, I when I lost Johnson County, I'm like, oh man. But I, yeah. I picked up, I picked up more Tarrant, and I've got a you know four more counties that uh, west of here, you know, Eastland, Erath, Comanche, well, and good. Hamilton that I've, I've got. And so they're good people. You know, there's good people in Tarrant. We'll serve. You know, but yeah, after having served, uh, right. you know, Johnson County and 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 I would put Navarro and and part of Ellis in there because I lose uh, the eastern. Brian, half of Ellis I hate to and I hate to do this, but, but we're out of time. Let's do this again a little little further down the line so we can get more in, folks. We've had Texas Senator Brian Birdwell with us today, going over a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. Each week, I like to bring you a message. Hopefully, it's informative and educational, and hopefully, we do a little bit of entertaining at the same time. I'll be back next Friday with another message. Until then, God bless and have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central, and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share then.